0: Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word.
1: I believe when, if we could step back and look at the clarity of what God has offered to us as his kids, and look at the very things that we struggle with, the things that we go after, we would feel the same way. We would say, why would anybody go after that when you could have this? Why would anybody do their own thing when when they could have God's blessing and God's plan and he knows everything? Why would anybody do that? But all of us have done it. We've all done it. We've all done our own thing at different times. We've all pursued our own thing. We maybe have never worshipped a figurine or an idol, but we've made idols. We've made things that are more important than God.
0: In today's message, Pastor Bill will share with you about the idols that we can have in life and how they can impact our relationship with God. In life, we can sometimes have idols. When you think of an idol, you might think of a small golden statue or something. And while that might be the case, an idol can be more modernly described as something that takes Jesus's place as number one in your life. So observe where and how you spend your time. Does it reflect your devotion to Christ? Now, Here's Pastor Bill in the book of Leviticus chapter 26 for today's edition of A Transforming Word.
1: So Leviticus chapter 26 uh, titled this chapter, Blessings and Curses, because that's exactly what this chapter has in it, blessings and curses. And, you know, we've had this whole book where God has laid out what he desires for this group of people. He's given them instruction. He's given his law to those that would be leadership, the Levites, the priesthood. Uh, He's given his instruction to the people how he wanted them to worship him, what he did not want them to be doing. And so in this chapter 26, as we come to the close of this book, again, one more chapter next week, God gives uh, some promises concerning those that obey him. And the promises will be they will cover chapter verses four through 13 are the promises. God said, if you guys obey me, I really want to bless you. And in chapter verse four through 13, he lays out all the ways in which he promises to bless them if they're obedient. But then he says, if you don't obey me, I'm going to chastise you. And that goes from verse 14 all the way to verse 40. And so, you know, when you count it up, I'm like, how come there's. There's more than twice the amount of curses than there is the blessings. And so that was a question. How come it seemed like, you know, the, the blessings are really good. We're going to go through them. Um, but it's like man, uh, the blessings they just went ended. And then the, the, the cursings and the threatenings go so far. And you'll find that the curses are progressive. They start at verse 14 and it gets worse at verse 13. Eighteen. It gets worse again at verse twenty-one. It gets worse again at verse uh, twenty-three, and at twenty-eight, God just says, "And if you still don't get it, and He turns it all the way up on them, this is why I believe uh, there's so much more warning." Um, Did God already know what these people were going to do? He already knew. He already knew. You guys are a mess. You guys are not going to obey me. You guys are going to do your thing as they did. They would obey God for little seasons, and they would enjoy His blessing in those little seasons. And then they would go off and follow other gods and go after all these other things. And the curses came just like God promised. couple things I gather from this. Why all the warnings? I don't think we need a lot of encouragement. I think most of us already know, God, if I just obey you that your blessings are there. God said, I'm, I'm, I, I have that for you. That's just automatic. You walk with me. I'm a bless you. I'm a good dad. I'm a good God. I'm a good heavenly father. But I want to deter you from going away. And we're going to see at four different points, God says, look, if you would obey me here, I, I just, we could stop. You know, I, I wouldn't have to go any further. So let's start at verse one of chapter 26. God says, it says you shall not make idols for yourselves, neither a carved image nor a sacred pillar uh, shall you rear up for yourselves nor shall you set up an engraved stone in your land to bow down to it for i am the lord your god you shall keep my sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary i am the lord so god opens up the chapter telling them basically not to get involved in idolatry to honor the holy day and the holy place honor the sabbath day and honor the the sanctuary so first god says hey guys don't make idols why would he say that? Because that was a temptation for them. They lived in a world where everybody else had a God you could touch. Every, every nation that God put them in, everywhere that they went, people had gods that they could go up and look at this God. They could go up and and, and they could have a little, a little bitty one at home, a little carved image of their God. They could have a, a figurine of their God. They had a place to go and see this God that they worship. And for whatever reason, that was very alluring to the people at this time. Um, even though they had a relationship with the true and living God, this is what they went after. If you're writing notes, I want you to write down Psalms. Psalm 115, I'm gonna read verses four through seven of Psalm 115. God speaking about this very thing. Psalm 115, starting in verse four, it says, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk, nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. And so God says here that you guys have these gods, but they don't do anything. They don't speak. They don't hear. They can't move. When you, They don't answer you. They don't speak back to you. They're there. But for whatever reason, it was a temptation. I believe when if we could step back and look at the clarity of what God has offered to us as his kids and look at the very things that we struggle with, the things that we go after, we would feel the same way. We would say, why would anybody go after that when you could have this? Why would anybody do their own thing when when they could have God's blessing and God's plan and he knows everything? Why would anybody do that? But all of us have done it. We've all done it. We've all done our own thing at different times. We've all pursued our own thing we maybe have never worshipped a figurine or an idol but we've made idols we've made things that are more important than God and so God tells them here first thing don't don't have any idols don't carve any images um nor any gravestone in your land don't bow down to it because I am the Lord then he says I want you to keep my Sabbath and I want you to reverence my sanctuary I want you guys to keep my holy day and for the Jews at that time, it was a Sabbath day. that were to keep it holy and set apart for the Lord. A day set apart for God. God said, keep that day because you guys get real busy and you guys beat them forgot me. I want a day set apart once a week that you guys are focused on me. You guys stop everything. It's a law that you focus on me. Why did God have to make a law for them to stop and focus on him? Because the natural inclination of people is to get rolling so fast that we just be like, I haven't, it's been a while since I've done that. I haven't prayed in a long time. I haven't read my Bible. Why not? Because I'm busy. So God said, that's the law. You're going to take a day. I want a day a week set apart just for me. Sabbath day, it's the law. And he says, I want you to reverence my sanctuary, that holy place. Don't defile it. Uh, want you come here, I've given rules and instruction for how you to function in this place. And in verse three, we get the conditional promise. God says, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, and then begins the list of what he promises to do if you do them. So you, if you underline, highlight, mark things in your Bible, you want to mark the word if because everything is contingent upon that. Um, God doesn't say, I'm going to do all this for you. He says, if you obey me, this is all. What's this? All of this is what I plan to do for you. If you would obey me. And I don't know if anybody here has ever had a conditional promise. Somebody tell you, well, if you do this, then I'll do that for you. Um, We understand that it's a promise that has some tags on it. You know, I got to do my part. And then they'll do their part. And so many times we just want the grace of God. I just want that unmerited favor. We all do. And it's a great thing. God, we're saved by grace. Um, it's unmerited, undeserved. I didn't do anything for it. But I think what can be lost at times is we forget that it, I, I, I do experience God's grace, unmerited favor, something I don't deserve. But God's telling them here, look, I I, I, I want to do more for you. I, I want there. There there are some things that that I only will do some things I'll do for you as you're obedient. Um, There's some things that if you're not obedient, I won't do. And the question is, does this carry over into the New Testament? Right. Is this the Old Testament principle? If I'm good, God will bless me. And if I'm bad, he won't. Um, if I'm good, you know, does this transfer over into the New Testament? Um, this was spoken to them at that time. It's a specific rule and law for them. But. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. They were in a different covenant. They were in a different law. But I do think there's some principles here. The New Testament teaches me that whatsoever a man sows, what? That he will also reap. Even though God's grace is upon my life, even though Jesus has washed away my sins, even though I've been forgiven of my sins when I do wrong, the Bible says in the New Testament, too, that God chastens those that he loves. This right here we're going to see every time when God goes through the curses, it's a way of chastening. So when you get to the New Testament, it's not like God said, well, now we're under grace. So you can act a fool and I'll never do anything to you. Uh, God says, look, I chasing those who I love. I will pull out my big old switch and womp you with it. And he does. Uh, he said, the, and, and God's chasing and there's no joke. So let's look at the promises and what it would have meant for them then. And what we can glean from it, uh, what we can glean from it for us now. So look at verse four. First promise. Uh, if you walk in my statute and keep my commandments and perform them. Verse four, then. I will give you rain in its season. The land shall yield its produce and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. God said, I'm going to give you rain at the right time. Understand for them as an agricultural culture, if if the rain came at the wrong time, your your harvest was a wrap because you tilled and you sowed and the rain needed to come in the right season. So God says, one of the benefits of your obedience to me, I'll send rain In its season, when the rain is supposed to come at the right time, so you don't experience crop failure. I'll send the rain at the right time. These things sound natural, but they're supernatural because God is in charge of the weather. God is in charge of the rain. God's reminding them, you guys do what I tell you to do. You guys obey me. I'll make sure it rains at the right time that your crops prosper, that you guys have everything you need. Look at verse. um, I'm sorry. The second part of verse four and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Uh, we'll see later as one of the punishments or the curses that they're going to do all the work that they normally do. But God's going to tell their, their God's not going to let their trees bear fruit. So imagine working all all the, the, the all the time before harvest, sowing, tilling, putting seeds down, preparing the dirt, doing all the work and then it raining on time and the trees just don't yield any fruit. Imagine the frustration and the barrenness of that. Look at verse five. It says your threshing shall last Till the time of vintage and the vintage shall last until the time of sowing. You shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your dwell in your land safely. Um, basically, what God is saying here's your food is going. Not, it's not going to run out. The threshing shall last until the time of vintage and the vintage shall last until the time of sowing. God says when you guys have worked um, and and you've received uh, food, you brought things in, it's going to last It'll last up until the time that you do it all over again. And so it won't run out beforehand. You're going to have enough. It's going to last you guys. And it says you're going to eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely. God says you're going to eat to your full and you're going to dwell in your land in safety. It won't be safety because you guys have the baddest armies. And we've seen that through Israel's history times where they were outdone, outnumbered, but God gave them his victory. God says you guys will dwell in the land in safety because I'll be with you. There are times where Israel was there in weakness and the enemies of God had heard stories and they were afraid. The fright of God, the fear of God was upon them based on what they had heard times when they were in obedience. And how how might these things relate to us? I do believe it's we're obedient. We walk in obedience and walk in fellowship with the Lord and do that. Our needs are met. That God God covers us. God takes care of the things that concern us. Sometimes there are things that we're missing that are lacking because we've been disobedient and God is allowing there to be a lack. God is allowing those things to bring us to a place of brokenness that we might turn to him once again. But here God says, as you guys just obey me, I, it's my desire that you walk in safety. I want to provide that for you. Look at verse six. I will give you peace in the land and you shall lie down and none will make you afraid. I will rid the land of evil beasts and the sword will not go through the land, through your land. You, I'm sorry. So first of all, God said I'll give you peace in your land. So while you're in your land, the enemy's not going to be coming banging on your doors. Um, and so I don't know if people here have lived in a, a a place where it was you know seeing people that live in live in chaos where there's always stuff coming down. God says you guys are going to live in peace. There won't be any of that. Uh, everything will be it'll just be a calm. It'll be a peace here. Uh, Because I'm with you, because I'm going with you guys. Uh, I thought about this when I was a kid. I had a uh, one of my aunts, uh, uh, my aunt that lived to be 104. Actually, she lived in what we call the jungles. Anybody know the jungles of that? Everybody know that. Okay, so that was obviously not my neighborhood that I was growing up in. But there was a few times as kids where my parents would let us stay with her for a week or so in the summer because her apartment building had a pool. And I remember me and my sister going and I'm just a kid. So I see all these other kids and I'm like, oh, we gotta go outside and play with all these other kids. But these kids are already, I don't even know about gang banging yet, you know, but I, I know I'm not from over there. And we went and we got into a, me and my sister got into a little scuffle with some kids at the pool. And these kids were bold. They were coming to my aunt door blah, 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 banging on the door. And we were there like, man, like we, we're not here in safety. You know, it's not like this at my, at my mom's house. You know, ain't nobody banging on my mom's door. But I remember being in that apartment building like if we go out, whenever we went outside, it was like you had to be like, I don't know which where they coming from or who, or who they are. It was exciting um, and I, I, I guess it was good that we were little. So it wasn't nothing too serious, but it wasn't peace. It wasn't say it wasn't like being at home. And I can't imagine that's just little kid stuff. I can't imagine living somewhere where it's real war, where people are coming to kill you. People are coming to take you out. And you're always having to look out for where the enemies are coming from. God says, when you guys walk with me, you'd be insane. You'd be able to just relax because I got you because I got everything under control. I got everything covered. And I know that there are times when because people aren't walking right. Um, it may be their own anxieties. It may be their own insecurities. It may be their own, you know, but just because of how they're living, they don't seem to have peace. But God says, you guys will dwell in safety. I will have you covered. I will look out for all that concerns you. And moving on, it says um, in verse seven, you will chase your enemies and they shall fall by the sword before you. Five of you shall chase 100 and a 100 of you shall put 10,000 to flight. Your enemies shall fall down by the sword before you. I, now, that's those are quite good numbers. If five of us can put a hundred to flight, that's great. You know, God says that Five people will put a hundred people to flight. Then He says a hundred of you will put ten thousand to flight. I believe if you're some math people here can fix it for me. If I may, I may have my math wrong, but I believe that first equation is about one to twenty. So one person running twenty out. That's the five to a hundred and the. Hundred to 10,000, I believe that's one to 100. I believe one man is running 100 folks up out of there. Guys, that's, how, that's what I'll do. It won't be because that one dude is that bad. It'll be because that one dude's God is that bad. But, but would it be cool to be one guy running 100 people out? That would be awesome. And it is these things happen. You guys remember Gideon. Gideon had his army. They were going to be coming up against a a much bigger army. And he had God said, no, you got too many. And Gideon's like, Lord, do you know how many they got? We don't have we got we don't have enough. He said, no, you're going to whittle it down some more. And he took them to the water and they had the the guys that lapped the water like this. And he cut the army down to 300. And then God told him why he did it. He said, I don't want you guys after you get this victory. be talking about how you did this because you bad. I want to make it so, I want to make the odds so ridiculous that when you go out, every, you guys will know and the people that you whooping will know that it's God. Ain't no, ain't no explanation for this, but God. And so God said, that's what I'll do when you walk with me. Victory over your adversaries. Verse nine, for I will look on you favorably and make you fruitful, multiply you and confirm my covenant with you. That that part right there is, I think is, I circled favorably. God said, I I will look upon you favorably. Um, Everybody, I think, would enjoy God's favor. God looking down and looking at you favorably. Now, I know that, again, that God sees me through eyes of grace and eyes of mercy and everything else. But God's favor rests on some and not on others. Here, God says, I'll look upon you favorably. What's the context? I'll look upon you favorably when? When you're walking in obedience. My favor will be upon you. And I could look through my I can look through the word and see people that walked in obedience, and God's favor was upon them. It just was. God was just with them in a special way. God says, This is what I want to do. My favor will be upon you. I'll make you fruitful and multiply you. Uh, that, and that's speaking of reproductive-wise. So the married people get married, and God says, I'll make you guys, y'all will have babies. It'll be cracking. I'll make you guys fruitful. I'll multiply you. I'll confirm my covenant with you. Verse 10. You shall eat the old harvest and clear out the old because of the new. And so God said, you can have so much. You'll be clearing out the old stuff to make room for the new stuff. Not not because you ran out, uh, but because my blessing is with you guys. Verse 11, I will set my tabernacle among you and my soul shall not abhor you. God, when he said, I'll set up my tabernacle, my dwelling place will be among you. We'll be close. Verse 12. I will walk among you and be your God and you shall be my people. And these are all the promises. God said, we're going to be close. My tabernacle will be right among you. God said, I'll walk among you. I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. These are all things that he's promising them as they would walk in obedience. And I think these are the things that we look for. Everybody, every believer wants to experience closeness with God. One thing that you do, one thing that we can do to ruin just the experience the closeness, the intimacy of the Lord is begin to walk in rebellion. It's not that God moved either. It's not that God has gone away from us. It's not that God has moved away or doesn't love us or didn't die or his blood is insufficient. But we can walk in disobedience into where we I don't feel close to God because you walked away. And I always tell people, if you, if you find that, man, I just am not experiencing intimacy with the Lord, you need to start making your way back to him. The Bible says if you draw near to God, he'll do what? He'll draw near to you. He's not running from you. He's not trying to get away. God's not trying to make it difficult for you to experience intimacy with him. He wants it more than you know. And so God, said, if you draw near to me, I'll be I'll, I'll draw near to you. But here he says, look, one of the benefits, I'll be right with you. I'll be right among you. And I think that in the, in the, in the 23rd Psalm, uh, you know, that's one of the things that the, the psalmist proclaimed um, that, you know, that as far as something that was a, a, a point of rejoicing and this Psalm uh, Psalm 23, verse four, and sorry, Psalm 23, 23 four. He said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And he says, why? For you are with me. For you're with me. I'm with you. You're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He said, I'm, I'm going to be with you. And so verse 13, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their slaves. I have broken the band's of your yoke and made you walk upright and these last two things that God just declares what I've done for you guys is I brought you guys out of the land of Egypt that you should not be their slaves I don't want you to be slaves uh we're going to be talking about this this Sunday in Romans chapter 6 uh, how the God God is God is the work that God has done for us is, is one of the things he sought to accomplish was to bring us out of a place of spiritual slavery and it's in an, um Romans 6 6 it says knowing this that our old man was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves of sin. God wants to deliver us from a place of being in slavery or in bondage to sin or anything else and so God reminds him here I brought you guys out delivered you from that then he says I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you to walk upright. Uh, one of the things when, when, when the animals were yoked together, they were also bent over. And he said, I broke those and you guys can stand upright. I've, I've completely set you free from all these things. And so that represents what God wants. God wants to bless them. He wants intimacy with them. He wants to be close to them. He wants to cause them to be fruitful. He wants them to have victory in battle. He wants one to run out a hundred and, you know, uh, you know, one to run a hundred away. God wants to, Give them victory over their battles. God wants to remove the wild beasts. God wants their, their harvest to be plentiful. God wants to give them rain at the right time. He wants to bless them. And he says in verses one and two, this is what you need to do. No idols, don't worship any other things. Don't bow down to them. Keep my holy day. Keep my holy place. That's what I want this with you. Look at verse 14 now. That that but couldn't be any bigger. Um, you might circle or underline the word but there. He says, but. If you do not obey me and do not observe all these commandments, if you despise my statutes or if your soul abhors my judgment so that you do not perform all my commandments but break my covenant, I also will do this to you. And he's getting ready to go down a list. I want you to keep in mind that it's progressive. It's going to be bad at every point, but it's going to get worse. And I want to first look at the attitude of heart that causes someone to walk in disobedience and rebellion to a God this good. First, he says, if you do not obey me and observe my commandments, and if you despise my statute, or if your soul abhors my judgment. So first of all, despising his statutes, his commandments, or his word. I would challenge everybody here, is is there anything that you hear in the word that you despise it when you hear it? You don't like it. Is there any commandments Are there any things that you know you're not supposed to do? And whenever that comes up in the word, whenever somebody preaches on it, whenever it comes up in a sermon, you just kind of despise. I don't want to hear that. Mm. That that's it. That's an attitude of the heart. I despise that that particular command. Not all of them, but that the one that's rubbing me the wrong way, the one that's stepping on my toes. Is there any of that in you? Is there any area where you despise a commandment? Um, you you look at it and, and, and the word despise, it means to disdain, to reject or to refuse it. It's attitude of the heart. I, I reject that. I refuse that.
0: You've been listening to another edition of A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Thanks for tuning in. The book of Leviticus is full of relevant content that can still be applied to us today. Yes, even the Old Testament book that seems to just be full of rules and regulations. It's full of the grace of God. No matter how many times the Israelites seemed to misunderstand or misjudge God, He still forgave them. He still gave them chance after chance and gave them what they needed. How many times in your life can you see that God has done the same for you? He gives grace even when we make mistakes. He gives grace even when we don't deserve it. He gives us chance after chance after chance. There is no one else like him. If you're struggling with your own mistakes and are having a hard time accepting the grace of God, we'd love to connect and pray for you. Our number is 310-245-4811. Again, that number is 310-245-4811. And if you're ever in the Inglewood area, we want to meet you in person. Our service times are on Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If you're unable to visit in person, we stream our services online too. For more information, such as directions and links to media pages, just visit CalvaryInglewood.org. Again, that website was CalvaryInglewood.org. Next time, Pastor Bill will continue teaching through the book of Leviticus and you won't want to miss it. Learn more next time right here on A Transforming Word.